Indeed, it is the final four weekend and the Friday before the national semifinals, and we are anxious to talk and hear more about it with special guests, insight, perspective, and more on college basketball coast-to-coast. I am merely the somewhat capable and very much detached host of the program, T.J. Reeves. I have got a Hall of Famer with me straight ahead who is there in Indianapolis and ready to help me set the scene and talk about what's going to happen with Baylor and Houston, UCLA, and Gonzaga coming up. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News. Love his insight. He'll be here momentarily. A little bit later on here on the show and the podcast, Brian Finley, who is part of the UCLA Learfield (laughs) IMG coverage of the Bruins. Game in and game out, week in and week out, including the coaches show with Mick Cronin, et cetera. Brian Finley with some UCLA uh, perspective a little bit later on in the show. Reminder again, if you only found us through a social media link, uh, through uh, somehow, some way, uh, tag sports group channel on TuneIn. Again, it's free on TuneIn streaming, top and bottom of the hour on TuneIn under tag, T A G, tag sports group is the channel. If you only found us there, the show is also a podcast. Get it automatically by subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe. It comes automatically to you. Fresh show, as I keep saying, all the way through the weekend, all the way through the championship game into Tuesday on College Basketball Coast to Coast. You'll get the new show right away if you subscribe. All right. My spiel is over. It is time to bring him in from Indianapolis, the Circle City. Mike DeCourcy back with me from the Sporting News. There is no better man to help me preview what this weekend is like in the matchups than the man that has been there over 30 times and is one of the deans of college basketball writing. With all that out of the way, good to have you. And I know you're ready to go. Good to see your smiling face. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, It's great to have a final four. I I did a ranking several years ago of of the final fours and according to how I enjoyed them, some of it, the, the atmosphere, some of it, the game selves. And so I updated that every year. And this last, this past one, uh, the one we did in 2019 was my 30th. So this will be 31. And uh, it, I'd said that, you know, this year, what, what, a, what a joy it is to have it back. Uh, absolutely wonderful that we have it again. It's not the same. I'm not going to pretend that it is. It's not what it should be but it's a whole lot better than 2020. I know that. Yeah. You, you were gracious to come on with me a year ago. The word you used is sad. I, I had you on during March and you said, I'm, I'm sad that we don't have this. So now uh, turn that frown upside down as the wife, the school teacher likes to say to the kids, we at least have something and it's going along. So give me some insight because again, due to the COVID-19 guidelines, they compress the amount of media that could be there. And so Mike is, is obviously in the upper echelon of being able to be around. So we got to lean on you and the guys that are, are in and around all of it. There are some fans. There is some atmosphere at the time we're talking. What has it been like as we build the final four weekend? Mike, give us the insight. Yeah, I, I was able to go this past week. I went to Hinkle Fieldhouse on Sunday, saw Gonzaga play Creighton and UCLA play Alabama, uh, and then went again on Tuesday for the regional finals in the West and the East. And so I saw UCLA play Michigan and saw Gonzaga play Southern Cal. And it it, it is different, obviously, uh, in, the, in the arenas, because there are fewer fans, uh, it does feel a little more vacant. It feels, even though there are fans and they are enthusiastic, I can tell you that when I was, when I was finishing up my Gonzaga work, they have two courts. And so I needed to move myself from 
the I can't they they have one called unity and one called equality and I honestly don't know which is which but so I was let's say I was on unity for the first game and so I had to move myself over when I finished and I still had a few quotes I wanted to put in my column on Gonzaga and through the curtain you could hear the Michigan fans get you know they were into it and so there were a lot of them there I mean there there were there were there were there were enough fans there to create an atmosphere it's not the same it doesn't feel the fill that huge stadium in the way that 70,000 would, but it does, they do have a, they do have a feel. And I can tell you when UCLA won, you could hear those UCLA chants. Uh, They were loud as they could be. Those people were really proud and excited and they, their final four appearance uh, I'm sure they're embracing it. And, you know, and I um, talked to someone in the UCLA camp earlier today and they said they're having a great time with this. And I know some of the players who lost early um, didn't feel great about it because it wasn't, you know, they didn't feel the NCAA tournament. But I can tell you, the ones that are in the Final Four, they're having a good time. <laughs> so sure. uh, it's, you know, even though it's not the same, it's still it's still better than the alternative. And that's they're they're enjoying the heck out of it. There are some fans that have been able to go 20%, 25% in the arenas to make some noise, have some atmosphere, and be around it. We'll take something over nothing uh, all day long. All right, so I want to progress through this conversation. We'll get to the games. That's the most important thing. But at the time that we are now recording the coaching carousel in full swing, and I got to ask you first about Roy Williams because he retires and the North Carolina job now open. The job being open is secondary to a Hall of Fame career. He may need his own wing uh, with the success that he has had with some of the other coaches. Say what you will, and you wrote a lot about this in, in the Sporting News. I encourage uh, people to go to SportingNews.com and read what you've already written about Roy Williams. But say a few words here. 33 years at Kansas and North Carolina, what, nine Final Fours, three national titles. What do you want to say about Roy Williams saying, enough for me, I'm going to, I'm going to step aside and enjoy my latter years here on the golf course and elsewhere and not on the sideline? I wish Roy had let me coach him up before he went out to talk to everybody yesterday because I, that, that's like my, the only, maybe the only time I've ever been this really disappointed in Roy was like he was saying, I'm not the man for the job anymore and, like, come on, you don't like, you don't have to do that to yourself. If you don't want to do that work, which some of the things that now have to be done with uh, dealing with players who, uh, who are interested in the transfer portal or having to re-recruit your team, all those kinds of things. If you don't, that's a different thing than I'm not the man for the job anymore. You're saying you're not good enough. No, 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 coach. You're as good as anybody that's ever done it. So don't, don't do that. Don't do yourself like that. He, he deserves a happier send-off than that. Uh, for three national championships since 2003, uh, I, I don't know that that's properly appreciated by North Carolina fans even, because I'll tell you, I wrote a column yesterday that after he announced that he, he was going to retire and before he spoke to us that said that he was as great as any coach that North Carolina's ever had. And that has obvious implications. And I'm not, I didn't want to say in that column that he was the greatest because I know Roy himself would object to that. So I just said he was as great as anyone that they've ever had. And I got a lot of pushback from Carolina fans. Uh, There there are certain opinions that are formed in one's sporting youth, I guess, that become unshakable. The idea that among a certain age group that LeBron cannot possibly ever surpass Jordan, for instance. 
And I think that's, there's some of that now with Dean and Roy, but Dean coached there from 62 to 97 and won two. And Roy coached there from 03 to 21 and won three. Do the math. That's all I'm going to say. Do the math. <laughs> if you're talking about cutting the nets down and winning the whole thing, I, I would agree in there. Uh, I mean, look, yes, uh, it's the same now with Coach K at Duke and whoever's going to follow him. And speaking of UCLA, whoever followed Wooden, and it's been a slew that have followed Wooden to try to live up to it. But I understand where a Duke fan says it's Coach K's team. A Kentucky fan says it's Adolph Rupp's you know, team and legacy, John Wooden's legacy at UCLA. But still, it doesn't diminish what Roy Williams did. Uh, and we'll see what Carolina ends up doing. Uh, uh, interesting, I know you don't travel in this world, and I understand why you explained it to me long ago, and many have explained it to me, about who's going to get what job. But it is interesting on Final Four weekend that Porter Moser, the coach of Illinois-Chicago, appears to be the Oklahoma choice. They've zeroed in. We don't know for sure. He may not take the job. They might, they might hire somebody else. If it is Porter Moser leaving to go to Oklahoma, I find it fascinating. So uh, just sharing the hypothetical with me for a second. If that is what's going to happen here, uh, what, do you ha- what, what do you think of that, uh, of him leaving Loyola Chicago for the Big 12? First of all, Porter's a great guy, a, a really good man. And so he continues that. First of all, he's, he's working for a great person and, 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 and a wonderful AD in Joe Castiglione, one of the absolute best people in college athletics, bar none. So uh, they go from one of the absolute best people in college athletics, Lon Kruger, who's now retired from, I think, I don't think that means he's retired from being a good guy, just retired from being a coach. Uh, so he's out now. And so now they replace him with another really terrific human being. The only question I have is that Porter built a approach to the game around Cameron Crutwig's talents and the difficulty others would have dealing with his passing ability out of the high post and, and, and from the top of the key. And so what is he other than that? How, does he, how, how is he successful other than that? He, he's been unconventional in, in, in his success at Loyola. Not just unconventionally successful, but the nature of his teams are unconventional. I don't think that's going to work in the Big 12. So what's his, you know, what, what's his other approach? What, is, what does he do? Does, now, it, it, you can, like, any coach can sort of start with the foundation of pick and roll and build from there. I mean, that's what 95% of what we're seeing now is. So he could morph into that and his ability to teach. If you can teach what he taught at Loyola, you can teach, you know, pick and roll schemes and what everything that's derived from that. There's no question. But I do think he's going to have to have a different approach uh, from a strategic standpoint on the offensive end, a different approach in order to be successful. Love the insight of Mike DeCorsi, the Sporting News, again, Basketball Hall of Fame writer uh, with me here on College Basketball Coast to Coast for just a few more minutes. Great insight on everything. All right. So, so much being made of Gonzaga sitting on history. Uh, Deja vu all over again, to quote Yogi Berra, as I love to do. Uh, I had the privilege of being there with you and with 70,000 of our closest friends at Lucas Oil Stadium in 2015 when Kentucky came to the Final Four undefeated and Wisconsin beat them. 
And my goodness, the symmetry of 30 years ago, you were there. UNLV gets to the Final Four to play Duke undefeated, and Duke beat them. And you wrote, again, I encourage the fans, go to sportingnews.com, find Mike on social media at TSN Mike, and read the story about the three-point shot of Bobby Hurley that set up the end game and how Duke knocked off UNLV, the unbeaten defending champs. Great stuff. Long-form piece. Love it. Can't plug it enough. You wrote about that. But here we go again with unbeaten Gonzaga trying to do what 91 UNLV and 2015 Kentucky could not do, Mike. Wild. The difference that Gonzaga encounters is that they will not face in finals a genuinely great team. UCLA has had a wonderful season and they have done a magnificent job with what they have available to them. Uh, but with the injuries and uh, the, the, the departures, uh, they, they had, whatever chance they might have had to be legitimately great wasn't available. I mean, they, it, it, it just not, it, that's not to say that they can't still be champions. There have been like Connecticut 14, not a great team, but still NCAA champions now and forever. And that could be UCLA in four days. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what Gonzaga will face is not Wisconsin 15, a legitimately great team in every way. They had pros. They had great talent. They had the national player of the year, statistically, Ken Palm, all that lockdown. They were great. Um, go back to 91, Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner, Grant Hill. Uh, you know, they, they were a, they were not the yet defense, a great the team. defense rests on that being great. Yeah. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah. They were not yet they, for that course of that season, they were not yet great, but they were in the process of becoming great and probably did that weekend probably did that tournament. Because if you go back and look at them in that NCAA tournament, they blew out everybody until they played Vegas. I mean, they blew out St. John's, they blew out UConn. I think it was uh, Iowa in the second round. I mean, they, they, they just were steamrolling people. So that's probably when they became great. And then they took it into 92 and took it all the way to the finish line there. UCLA is not that. So it's a, the chemistry is a little different. There is the availability though, that they could play a legitimately great team on Monday if Baylor gets through. So from that standpoint, Kentucky and, uh, and, um, and Vegas, they never got to see Monday night. So we don't, we don't know how they would have handled it, but and I, and I, and I, and one of the things I did not put in that article, uh, I got a chance to talk to Mike Krzyzewski for was he said to me that he doesn't think that they would have been able to beat Vegas if it was Monday night. He thinks Interesting. that, 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 be, that once, the, once the rebels got that close, that they, they would have been, you know, they would have been in like finished a job mode, you know? Uh, and so he felt like, playing them in the semifinal was an advantage. So it'll be interesting if Gonzaga gets that close and they have to go through again, a legitimately great team like Baylor, you know, will that make a difference? I, I, I'll be very curious to see that. If, if great, it, uh, great stuff on that. And uh, again, I, I was a college student. I'll relate this story and you know this about me. I was a college student at Memphis state. I was the student radio announcer for the Memphis State women's team. I've joked with you off the air that I made about enough to buy two Happy Meals every game to do the Memphis State women's games on the radio. I still remember 
they were on that run and that win streak, and UNLV came to Freedom Hall that year in February, I believe, January, February, as memory serves, before the 91 Final Four to play Denny Crum in Louisville. The Memphis State women were playing the Louisville women after that game. There was going to be slightly less crowd for the Memphis State women and the Louisville uh, women than the number one undefeated UNLV against the Cardinals. And I sat courtside as a junior in college. What do I know? Mike DeCourcy looking at Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman, wide-eyed going, these guys are NBA type talent nobody's going to beat them that was the thought and duke beat them that's the point and the kentucky team with the harrisons and carl anthony towns and on and on looked unbeatable and wisconsin beat them and gonzaga looks unbeatable can ucla keep it close or beat them that's the intrigue of saturday well i think they could I, I think they can keep them close uh they could certainly what, what i said earlier today in another uh, interview was that one thing that you will not see from UCLA is they will not relent. And I thought that SC did uh, on, on Tuesday night. I thought that there was a, there was a capitulation there that it happened early and, and it happened profoundly and, and that SC wasn't really able to, to, to cope with that. And, and they ultimately when they got, when they got behind, they at least competed the rest of the way. But at, at that point, it was quite clear that Gonzaga had very little interest in winning by 40 and very little interest in being in a close game. So they were going to keep it in the 20 range all the way to the end. And they were going to do whatever they had to do to do that and no more. They didn't want, they didn't need to humiliate SC. There was nothing in that for them. And it was just more energy expended that they could conserve for Saturday. So that was, that was the key. Uh, I, I, I think that UCLA will, will put everything they have into being competitive. That's who this team is. They are as mentally tough as any team that's left, but they don't have the uh, offensive ability to manufacture baskets at a level that Gonzaga does. I think you'll see Gonzaga have to be inventive with what they do. I think Jalen Suggs will have to be special, uh, but in the end, I do think that uh, that Gonzaga will be able to win. Whether they cover, and that's and I'm not, I don't really play in that world either. Um, <laughs> that's not my. That's not for me to say. Uh, I'm not promising yes or no. I just know that UCLA will put everything they have into, into trying to be competitive in that game. No doubt. I got about 90 seconds left. Oh, by the way, the other semifinal will have a first-time opportunity for a national championship for Baylor. Houston's been in the title game, but it's been 37 years since the last time they were there. So somebody gets a shot to go for all of it. Old Southwest Conference matchup, as we keep saying. I know that one's going to be intriguing as the first game up on Saturday, too, Mike, real quick. Yeah, Houston uh, defends really well, and they are going to have to because Baylor's offense is fantastic. Uh, I think it's going to be closer than uh, than maybe the uh, the names would suggest. Baylor from the Big Twelve and the great year they've had, and Houston uh, looked all looked at all this year as sort of a suspect top ten team because of the loss to East Carolina, because they're from the American. Uh, but I think they they have shown now that they are a special team defensively. Uh, they can they can really take you out of what you want to do, and this is a great challenge for them. I still think Baylor and Gonzaga will play on Monday, uh, but uh, I'm I'm intrigued by the two matchups. 
going to be a lot of fun. And again, this man is fantastic at what he does. Read the writing of Mike DeCourcy, the lost art, it seems like, in present-day society. Read the writing of Mike DeCourcy about the history of this event, his thoughts on everything going on this weekend, Roy Williams, etc. Sportingnews.com, at TSN Mike on tri- on uh, Twitter. Uh, and he's gracious to be with me on College Basketball Coast to Coast. You always respond. You uh, get back to me on text, on phone calls. Thank you for doing that. Have a blast with the Final Four. I will miss buying you a meal this weekend. I will live vicariously through you and others that are there. And thank you for sharing some time with me on Final Four weekend. I appreciate it, Mike. Can't wait till we can be together again. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the games. And we'll talk to you soon. As we do roll along, it is Final Four on Saturday and then a national championship on Monday. This crazy COVID-19 compressed tournament all in Indiana or greater Indianapolis. And to help me sort through it with a UCLA perspective, mind you, from out in Los Angeles, also part of the Fox Sports Radio Brotherhood. You hear him on the updates all the time at night, weekends. Brian Fennelly, gracious to return a message of, hey, do you want to come on college basketball coast to coast? It was like, do I? When can I get on to talk Bruins? Absolutely. So, Brian Finley, welcome in uh, as we get ready for UCLA and Gonzaga. As if I have to ask, how are things in SoCal and in Westwood? It's got to be going crazy. You know, I am on a perpetual high right now, TJ, because to be honest with you, I don't think anybody saw this coming. We can say how good this team is. We can talk about their toughness and their grit and the, the playmakers they have. But to get this far, I don't think anybody saw this happen. So you've probably seen some of the viral videos of the students at UCLA doing shenanigans and craziness. And this is just, it's been so long. And I know so long is 13 years. It's been since 2008, since the Bruins have gotten to the Final Four. But the years in between, a lot of them were not very good. And so it feels like it's been longer than 13 years. So to get here <laughs> and the way you got here by taking down a one seed, taking down a two seed and just continuing to fight and battle and start in the first four, be down double digits to Michigan State, be called out at the half, be called soft by McCronin, and for the players to take it on themselves to say, no, we are not soft. We're going to start playing harder, win that game, go on this run. It is just an incredible feeling, and I, like I said, I'm on a perpetual high. As you should be. And by the way, Baylor fan wants a word with you. It's been so long since 2008. It's been since 1950 for Baylor. (laughs) Harry Truman was the president. Just came off a WW2, babe, uh, since Baylor has last been in this thing. So uh, it it does probably seem like with all the other successes, especially in Los Angeles, the Rams have been in a Super Bowl. The Dodgers won a a COVID-19 World Series last year. Uh, The uh, Lakers won the resumption of the NBA in the bubble in Orlando and won the NBA World Championship. So we have been waiting for UCLA to come around, and now it has happened. All right, so a natural follow-up. So much has been talked about about this a team and what we think we know from a distance we're all watching give me something maybe it's a couple of somethings that we should be talking more about about this team that's not being talked enough nationally shows like this etc what should we be talking more about on the 2021 Bruins please we should be talking more about how this team had the disfortune of not being able to meet for six months since the COVID pause so they went 
from March of 2020 all the way into September where none of the players could meet. They couldn't talk to their coach in person. You couldn't find a place to play basketball. I mean, you, you would go to, to courts at parks and they ripped down the rim or they would have <laughs> to beg to, to get into their high school gyms or sneak in the back door just to get shots up. It was so hard to get shots up. All the while, TJ, teams in other parts of this country were meeting in the summer. Even Juwan Howard, I was listening to him talk recently, and of course, the Michigan head coach, and he said they met in May of 2020. They got to meet in May. UCLA had to wait several more months after that. So the fact that they were at a disadvantage because they hadn't gotten to practice together until September, when most of the teams in the rest of the country got to practice well before them, needs to be stated. I don't think we're giving this team enough credit. And so when you think about why potentially the Pac-12 has been underrated, why UCLA was looked down upon, it's because they started slow. You know, they got beat by San Diego State early in the season, and people were like, well, what is this team? Middle of the road? Okay. But they're finally blooming because it took longer because they didn't get to play or practice together as much. I think we need to hail that and, and understand why that this is the case and, and how hard it was to do what they did and go six months without meeting and then still pull this off. Great point on that. And this is why we have Brian Fennelly on here on college basketball <laughs> coast to coast. Cause I didn't know that story. And again, that needs to come out and be illuminated uh, a little bit more. You mentioned Mick Cronin and we've, we've made reference to this a couple of times already this week, UCLA, I'll be kind, had an odyssey trying to find a head coach 24 months ago. They ended up with him. He knows everybody knows he was not the first choice. He was probably not the second, third or fourth choice. But he ends up looking like the right choice for a lot of different uh, reasons. You've been around him some in the figurative sense, COVID social distancing world, but you've been covering him, interviewing him, the programming for UCLA's pregame, uh, midweek coverage, et cetera. Uh, again, give us some more insight into why this has worked and why this has meshed to the point that they've now won five NCAA tournament games, Brian. The players love him. Why do they love him? Because he's straightforward. He's authentic. He's no BS. He tells it how it is. You might not like what he says, TJ, but he's going to tell you exactly how it is. That's how you build trust. Because when you have an accurate assessment of where you are, where you stand, and there's no fluffiness to it, you're going to play your, you know what, off for this guy. There's a team cohesion. There is a love that these guys have for one another that Johnny Juzang talked about after the win against Michigan that you can't describe. And it is just palpable. You can feel the, the vibe of it around. And it's all because of Mick Cronin being truthful, being honest and being a great motivator and really knowing how to tap into what makes his guys go because he's real. If UCLA is going to hang in and have a chance at the end, like they beat Alabama with and like they beat Michigan with, what has to go well for them or what has to be a negative for Gonzaga? What's in the recipe? Because you've watched the Bruins all year. What is it? What is it? First of all, I've seen the the spread and what is it? 13.5 or I don't know, uh, yep. point differential. Even though like I have to admit, I think Gonzaga – is the favorites and as they should be they've earned it I, I think that the number whatever it is 13 or 14 somewhere in that range is way too large 
There was a story of Rick Pitino saying that when he was at Kentucky, he was favored against San Jose State by, like, I think the most ever, 36 points. And it's something, it was like a one-point game at the half. And they ended up winning by a large margin in the second half. But a one-point game at the half. What needs to go right for UCLA? Johnny Juzing needs to get off, and he needs to score in bunches. He was the hero. He was the reason, obviously, the Bruins were able to win against Michigan because of the way he – I just I'm, – I'm in awe of how hard he works to get open. And for anybody that calls him a shooter, that's only a part of what his skill set is. He is a scorer, and he can get off the dribble and, and put it to the – put it off the rack and in. So he's, he's much more diverse and versatile as a player. I also like to see Cody Riley stay out of foul trouble. And here's a big thing too. Gonzaga likes, they, they, they like to score, right? So if you're UCLA and you've done a pretty good job of this, especially against Alabama, a team that also likes to run up and down the court, they like to get buckets quickly in transition. You got to control the pace. And here's the big unknown. Can they get this into the second half where it's fairly close, much less can they get it into the last five minutes or four minutes where it's a big deal, one or two possession game? Because Gonzaga hasn't had any of those, even in the game that they won with BYU, where they were behind double figures at the half. They came roaring back. They were up 10 down the stretch. It was not a big deal, possession by possession, free throws or not, critical timeout, critical shot in the last minute. None of it has mattered for Gonzaga. If UCLA can do that, and they've done it to Michigan, and they've done it to Alabama, and and they did it in the first four to Michigan State, I believe they have a great chance. Isn't that part of the recipe? Try to make it a close game and see if Gonzaga maybe falters and cracks just because they're unfamiliar with it. Brian, real quick, final final thought on that? You, you can't judge the Bruins by looking at their talent individually and saying, okay, how does that stack up against Gonzaga, where they probably have many more NBA-type players. You judge UCLA also not by what they've done all season. You judge UCLA in this capsule that has been these last couple games in the toughness and the grit. It's not going to be, we're going to overpower you. We're not going to have more size than you. We have to have the sheer will to win. That is what it's going to take. Well, we'll see if they can pull it off or not. Brian Fennelly, thank you for being with me again. Find him on UCLA's pregame coverage on the Learfield IMG broadcast. Find him on social media at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Fennelly, F-E-N-L-E-Y. My thanks also to the Hall of Famer Mike DeCourcy at TSN Mike for the Sporting News for being with me as well. The show streams on TuneIn on the Tag Sports Group channel all weekend previewing the Final Four. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. For now, we're done on Final Four weekend Friday on College Basketball Coast to Coast.